want you to notice Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you cannot seek the kingdom without seeking the king. Amen. And it's interesting, the Greek word translated seek in this verse is zeteo, zeteo, I believe that's how it's pronounced. And it means, among other things, to search for something hidden. To search for something hidden. Well, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Lord is called the invisible God that call him the invisible God. He is hidden from our physical senses. You know that already. And we can only contact him with our spirits. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, seek and you will find. So if you search for God with all of your heart and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will find him. That is to say, he will make himself known to you and he can become more real to you than he is right now. So if Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom, that means you can find the kingdom. Now in James chapter 4, we are instructed, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Seeking after God is drawing near to him. So instead, of, we could paraphrase Matthew 6, 33. So draw near to God, and all these things will be added unto you. And James is writing to believers. So that means we don't stop seeking the Lord just because we are saved. This is something we continue to do. Now, most people, especially in the world, but in the church world as well, most people assume they wrongly think devoted to God and daily walking in his presence means being poverty stricken. See, that the concept that most people have is if you're really consecrated, if you really live for God, then you're poor. That you never have enough of what is needed. But that could not be true. That must not be true because Jesus said, if you seek God, all these things will be added to you. So he must be a God of abundance because the closer you get to him, you will be provided for. Amen. Hallelujah. And notice again, Jesus said, you know, cause and effect. You do this, this will be the result. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the result will be, and all these things will be added to you. Notice he didn't say subtract, subtract, subtracted from you, sorry, and not taken away from you, added to you. Now, in verse 25, which is kind of like the beginning of this particular passage or this, this topic that Jesus is talking at the beginning of the passage, in verse 25, Jesus said this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That, that's, that's a good word for somebody. Do not be anxious about your life. Then he says specifically what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he said these things will be added to you. What things? Well, you see, in this passage, in this, in this portion of, of Scripture, he's talking about the basic necessities of life. He's not just talking about, quote, unquote, spiritual things. He talks about food and clothing. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that God rewards those who seek him. So the one who diligently seeks God will have a double benefit. First, he will enjoy the true riches of spiritual blessings. But in addition to that, 
his material needs will also be met. Hallelujah. Let me just say that again. There's a double benefit for the one who seeks after the Lord. First, he gets the, the benefit of the true spiritual blessings, which of course is, is better. But in addition, the material needs are met as well. The Message Bible in Matthew 6.33 says this, you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. That's a big, that's a, he's casting a, 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 a broad spectrum. And that, that includes a lot of things. All your everyday human concerns will be met. Notice everyday concerns. So that means we have to seek him every day. That's, this is not something we do like once in our life, right? This is, this is not something like, you know, in a moment of crisis. This is not something we do just Sunday morning and Wednesday night. This is something we do every day. Do I have to seek the Lord every day? Well, I mean, do you want to have your needs met every day? Amen. So, again, in Matthew 6.25, the verse we read to you a moment ago, where Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Notice that the first word in that verse is, therefore. Therefore I say to you, do not be anxious about your life. Well, therefore... Is a, is a conjunction, he's connecting that verse with the previous verse, what he said earlier. So let's read that one. Verse 20, Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So when Jesus said, so... I'm telling you, don't be afraid because anxiety is meditation on fear. Don't be afraid of lack. Don't be afraid that you won't have enough food to eat. Don't be afraid that you won't have proper clothes to wear. Don't be afraid you won't have a place to live. You won't have transportation, the necessities of life. Don't be afraid of lack. That's what he said in verse 23. And the reason he said that is because... He said earlier in verse 24, I should say that's what he said in verse 25, but he said earlier in verse 24 that it's because he assumes that given the choice between serving God and money, you'll choose God. You can't serve two, it's God or money. So when he says that, he assumes that you'll say, oh, then I'll serve God. Therefore, I'm telling you, Don't be anxious. Right? So the cure for financial anxiety is to serve God. See, money is a resource, but God is your source. Your job is just a channel that the resources flow through, but God is your provider. Hallelujah. So if we put verse 24 and verse 33 together, see, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 33, so seek first the kingdom of God. It's kind of like the beginning of of the passage and then the end of the passage. So if we put verse and verse 33 together, we see that seeking God has something to do with serving God. See, verse 24 talks about serving. Serving. You can't serve God in money, so serve God. Therefore, don't be worried about your life. Verse 33 says, but seek first. Again, seeking God has something to do with serving him. You can't say you're serving the Lord if you never seek him. Amen? Hallelujah. And we serve him by being submitted to him. See, we place ourselves at his disposal. In other words, we make ourselves available to do his will. See? So imagine you have a business, a school or some endeavor, 
And imagine you hire someone to work for you, but whenever you need that person, he's never around. So if you want to serve the Lord, you've got to seek the Lord because you need to be there. You need to be there. See, Jesus said in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, me. I think we could say it this way. If you want to serve Jesus, you have to seek the Lord daily. Amen. So if we are sincere, dedicated followers of Christ, if we are truly disciples, we're also seekers of the Lord. We don't stop seeking him after we get saved. We continue to do that. Now, see, I wonder, I wonder if life would not be different for us if we began each day by praying, Lord, I'm here for you. What would you have me do? Because I'm here to serve you. See, the problem is, instead of serving the Lord, we're trying to get him to serve us. But he's not your servant. He's your master. He's Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So again, no one can serve two masters. That's why we don't believe in polygamy. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, when we talk about serving, we tend to think of something you will maybe. Like he doesn't really want to do this, but he's poor and so he has to he has to do this for the money or something bad happened and so now he's just serving somewhere. Or maybe he sees that as a, a stepping stone to something better. But according to this verse, your master is the one you love. Your master is not just the one that you, with servile obedience, just you know, begrudgingly do what he says. It's the one you love. It's the one you are devoted to. You see, we should seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But we should not seek him for, we should seek him out of love. I think I, get, I should get a better response than that. We should not seek him just to get the things. And that's what people do. Oh, boy. Oh, we're in trouble. The creditors are banging on the door. The phone is ringing off the hook. And we, we owe so much money. What are we going to do? Oh, we better pray. Well, that's okay. But why not live this way? I don't need anything, Lord. I just want to be with you. I'm not asking you for anything today. See, some people, and it's human nature, they only pray when they want something. And some people, that's, that's their life. When you see them in church, you know they had a bad week. You know something bad happened because they never come unless something bad has happened, you know? But we should be the kind of people who um, just enjoy God's presence. And I don't just mean in a meeting like this. I mean in, your, in, in the privacy of your own home, in the secret place of your prayer closet. Lord, I'm, I'm praying today just because I love you. And, and, and I think God knows whether we're praying because it's a duty. All right, you know, Pastor John talked about prayer. Or, or you're a student and praying, I look and there are the eyes of the RA. You know, something like that, you know. I think God knows whether we're doing something willingly. See, you know, the Bible says concerning our giving, you know, that let each man give as he purposes in his heart. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you know, uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. Let each man give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly, but willingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, what about giving your time? Wouldn't that be the same? You know, because you're giving your time to seek him, because it does take time, you're giving your time to worship him. Well, don't do, you know, you're supposed to. It's required. Your mother is forcing you. But willingly, because God loves a cheerful prayer. 
God loves a cheerful worshiper. God loves a cheerful Bible reader. Amen. And then he says, and God's able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always have more than enough. What does that mean? And all these things shall be added to you. Amen. So we, we, we seek him because we're devoted to him, because we love him. Now in Matthew, Luke chapter 14, verse 26, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said these words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, everybody say the word hate. hate. Yeah. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How many of you, this is your favorite verse in the Bible? Let me see your hand. How many fathers and mothers, wives and sisters want to remove that verse from the Bible? <laughs> now this scripture has perplexed many an earnest believer. Hmm, you know, what does this mean? It would help you to understand something. That in the first century A.D., Middle Eastern people often used strong, almost provocative language to make a point. That's very common. So that means Jesus was not unique in this, but he especially used this device. He used, they used strong language. Provocative means they're a little bit angry to, to get through to you, to make sure you get what they're saying. For example, I'll give you another verse that's not re necessarily related to this, but Matthew 7, 3. Jesus said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in, in your own eye? So, so the idea is, you know, you're, you are focusing on someone's minor fault and you have major issues in your own life. That's the idea. But it's not humanly possible, as far as I know, it's not humanly possible for you to have a tree trunk embedded in your eyeball. I mean, in my lifetime, I have yet to see that happen. But see, this, this is an example of hyperbole. He's intentionally exaggerating. It's not that Jesus doesn't understand physics or human anatomy. He knows that. He's doing this on purpose to emphasize it, to make, it a, make a point so that, like, okay, I got it. And the people hearing him understood that. So in, in Luke 14, verse 26, the scripture we read earlier, you know, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his family, even himself, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus could not be telling us to literally hate our families. He could not, be, he could not mean that. Because he himself told us in John 34, in fact, he commanded us to love one another. So if he means that we actually have to hate our family, then he just got through contradicting himself. Hmm? And then also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, every woman's favorite verse, it says, husbands, love your wives. That scripture, that came through the Spirit of Christ. And Titus chapter 2, verse 4, which is a verse that every man loves, says the young women are to love their husbands and their children. So it couldn't be that Jesus is telling us we actually have to hate everybody. That doesn't make sense. But again, like I said, it was a very, it was very strong, provocative language, you know, even exaggeration to get the point across to people. So they would like, okay, I got it. This is what Jesus meant. Our love for him should be so strong that in comparison... It looks like we hate everybody else. That's the idea. Our love for him should be so overwhelming, so strong, that in comparison to that, you should love him so much, everybody else is jealous. I wish he loved me like he loves Jesus. I told my wife that the Lord is number one, but you can be my number two. 
She didn't think that was funny. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? So in other words, Jesus is first place in our life. And second place isn't even close. It's not like I love Jesus and motorcycles are, I'm telling you, just, just, you know, on Sundays, I think Jesus is in lead. Mondays, it's motorcycles. No, no, second place is way back there, way back there. That, that's, what, that's what a real disciple looks like. Amen. Hallelujah. You cannot serve God and money. He did not say you cannot have money. That's what some people think it says. Some people who love money don't have any money. That's why they steal other people's money. Some people love it so much they'll do anything. I mean, you know, some people in Nagaland would sell their grandmother for a buck. They love it. You know, some people, I think, when they go to sleep at night, they just go, money, money, money. They don't count sheep. They count coins. <laughs> right? I've mentioned this before. With a friend of mine in America, and his cell phone rang. You know, he got a call. But instead of like, you know, some musical ordinary tune or da-da-da-da-da, it was a song that went, money, 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 money. What's your song? If you were a cell phone and you had an incoming call, what would be your song? Some people it would be money, money, money. Some people would be Pink Floyd. Boom, 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 boom. Money, boom, 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 boom. It's a trip. We're going to play that during the offering this Sunday, uh, Toka, so get ready. <laughs> right? He didn't say you cannot have money, but money cannot take the place of God. Money is a tool to be used. God is the one to be worshipped. Don't try to trade places. Some people worship money and they think God is a tool to get money. No, it's not, that's not true. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, a covetous person is called an idolater. Yeah. A covetous person is called an idolater. The Greek word for covetous means greedy for gain, having an insatiable de desire for more. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller, who was the world's first billionaire back in you know, early 1900, when a billion dollars was a billion dollars. They asked him, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Right? So, so when will you be happy? Some people will never be happy. I think we all have to deal with this. You know, if I, if I could just get, you know, whatever it is. I just get a new car. I need the new car. Oh, even have a picture of the car on your wall. You know, you, then you cut out your own photograph and paste it to the windshield or something. So it looks... Okay, fine, I, you know, if you want to do that, I guess so. You know, and, and they just, they dream, you know, at night. They see themselves, you know, driving like that. And then they finally get the car. All right, but now, you know, I need floor mats. And, and, now, and, and, and now I need, you know, wax. And I need a you know, personal license plate. And I need some racing stripes. And I need this. And then I need that. And, and now I need petrol. And then, you know, it's just... But will you, will you ever be happy with what you have? Will you ever be grateful for what you have? Some people are always unhappy because someone else has something they don't have. There will always be someone who has something you don't have. But can't you be, leave God for, for, for increase in your life, but you can also be grateful at the same time with what you have. Man, sometimes it seems like the more we get, the less grateful we are. That when we, you know, 20 years ago, you know, when you were eight years old or something, you know, somebody gave you just a, your a rel uncle just gave you like a suite and you danced all over the sidewalk. Now we give you one lack and you go, eh. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 
He says, a covetolater. Anything that you desire more than God is an idol in your life. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 22, it says the Lord hates idols. Now, see, if we came to your house and there was a statue of some kind of, you know, thing. <laughs> and you're burning incense there like that. We would be extremely disappointed. We would be shocked. We would be, we would be, we would be taken aback. Like, I don't think this person should be ushering. I don't think this person should be, you know, involved with the children. I don't think this person should, you know, I, I think we need to send a team of people to his house. That's idolatry. God hates but here you are, money, 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 <laughs> money. And, 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 you know, the thing is, when you see someone who looks like they have money and there's this magnetic pull. <laughs> you know, it's, Sunday, it's really funny. Every Sunday you're seated next to that person. And if the usher doesn't put you next to that person, you move closer to that person. Let's all shake hands. <laughs> That's no different than the statue in the house. That's no different. Come on. I'll tell you something worse than that. People who call themselves, you know, evangelists, and they go from house to house, Praying for people, and they won't leave until you give them money. <laughs> you total stranger, show up. Hello, brother. Pray the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm here to pray for you. And like, you know, you can't get rid of them until you give them money. Then it's like, okay, thank you. I'm here to pray for you. P-R-E-Y. <laughs> That's wrong. Well, brother, I'm living by ignorance. You're living by selfishness, foolishness. Amen? God is not going to give you something that will cause you to love him less. Amen? He's a jealous God. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word. Deceitful. That means you're deceived. To be deceived is to believe a lie. So if you think money is the answer to all of life's problems, you are deluded. You're deceived. That's not true. God is the answer to all of life's problems. And the wrong attitude toward money will prevent God's word from producing results in your life. I've heard a thousand sermons. I've heard that before. Oh, I remember when Brother Zamazama was here 20 years ago. He preached it better than you. Oh, I went to a conference in Malaysia, and I heard that already. I have the book. I have the series. I bought the T-shirt. I heard that before. But what is it producing in your life? Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's something wrong with the soil. When you love money more than God, it shuts down the effectiveness of God's word in your life. It will, that, that attitude will prevent God from blessing you because he's not going to give you an idol. Amen. See, the thing is, if you want to have more money, don't love it very much. Don't fall in love with it. You know, you can fall in love with money. Like you were just friends Started, you know, hanging out lunch and dinner and calling. Next thing you know, I'm in love with money. Amen. It, 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 when you don't really care that much, like, uh, then God can trust you with more. And one, t and see, when, when I say don't love money, all the pious saints nod reverently. Amen, Brother John. Amen, amen, amen. But the real test of whether you love money or not is whether you're willing to let go of it. Don't worry, I'm not going to take up the offering now, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> when God tells you to give in the, in the offering... And you're thinking, oh, sure, I'm going to give. I'm thinking I'll give uh, maybe five rupees. And God says, I'm thinking 5,000. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. 
See, see the, the real proof that you don't, you're not in love with money. It's just a tool. More where that, more where that came from. Amen. Amen. So that means if you're a stingy person, how many of you are stingy? Now's not a good time to scratch your face, brother. How many of you are stingy? See, that would mean that you're in the idolater category. Amen. Amen. Well, let's move along. Praise the Lord. Let's go back to Matthew 6, 33. Don't worry. We're, we're all together and we're all dealing with the same issues, okay? It's not just you. I'm thinking about this for myself, too. In Matthew 6, 33, in the Passion Translation, it says, All constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Amen. Amen. So every day, all over the world, people are chasing after something. But we are God chasers. We are God chasers. So we live in a different realm. Pursuing God, those who are God chasers have a different perspective. Things that the world think are so supremely important. Eh, to us, it's a minor thing. And things that we consider vital, they consider a minor thing. I mean, you know, your parents, you got to study, you got to work, so you can have some money. Money, money, money. Well, I'm going to go to church Sunday. No, you're going to study for your exam. And then just tell the church to pray that you'll pass the exam. <clears throat> Amen. I'm all in favor of doing well in your studies. I'm not telling anybody, you know, not to, not to, not to go to school or anything like that. But <clears throat> we have to have a different perspective. That loving God and serving him, that's more important than my career. It's more important than my income. It's more important than anything in the world. <clears throat> Amen. Hallelujah. Microsoft did not die for me. Apple did not die for me. Hallelujah. Amen. Hindustan Lever did not die for me. Maruti Suzuki did not die for me. Amen for me. Jesus died for me and rose again from the dead for me. Hallelujah. You may love that Toyota, but it doesn't love you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me read the same verse in the contemporary English version. But more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. So the problem of provision is a problem of priorities. The problem of provision is priorities. We think there's a lack of dollars. God thinks there's a lack of devotion. And the Greek word translated first in Matthew 6.33 is the word proton. P-R-O-T-O-N. Proton, which means first in time. First in rank. First in order of importance. See, here's the problem most Christians are seeking the Lord, but not first. That's the problem. It has to be first. In other words, every Christian everywhere, I'm sure, would agree that, that God is important. Oh, yeah, the Lord's very important to me. But he's not number one. He's not the most important thing. Well, no, Jesus is an important part of my life. No, friend, he is your life. He's your all in all. 
Well, he's made a big difference in my life. No, without him, you are nothing. You have nothing. And you will be nothing. He's not just problem fixer or local ATM machine. Lord of your life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Again, we, it's easy to say, oh, the Lord is first place in my life. Well, it's not hard to find what's first. It's where you spend your time. It's where you spend your resources. It's where you spend your energy. It's what you think about. It's what you dream about. It's what you live for. It's what makes your heart beat. It's what gets the juices flowing. It's what you're excited about. It's what you're passionate about. What's your passion? Cooking. What's your passion? Is fashion your passion? What's your passion? Guitar. What's your passion? It's okay all these things and, and have in, uh, various uh, uh, hobbies and pursuits. I don't think anything like that is necessarily a problem. It could be a weight, but it, it's, not necessarily, it's not necessarily a sin or something. But living for God, that should be number one. Knowing him, that should be more important than anything in life. And, oh, Pastor John, naturally you're a pastor. <laughs> you would say that. No, Jesus said that. Jesus said that. And I believe it not because I'm a pastor. I believe it because I'm a Christian. Amen. And I like to be with people who inspire me. Not perspire, inspire me. I like to be with people that, you know, increase my hunger for God. Even though it, sometimes when I'm with them, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I feel a little bit ashamed. But I know it's good for me. When I'm with people, and you can see this guy really loves God. Man, it's amazing. I, even though, like I said, I feel a little bit uh, Awkward, a little bit uncomfortable, but it's good. It's good. It, 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 see, we, if you draw near to God, you'll pull a lot of others with you. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Some people say, I don't have time to pray. You will if you do it first. If it's first, you'll always have time for that. You, now, you may not have time for something else, but you'll always have time for this if you do it first. In Psalm 63, verse 1, the New King James Version says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. The Hebrew word for early literally means at dawn. At dawn. In other words, I do this first. I do this first. What do, we, what do you do first? He says, I pray. What did Jesus do first? What, what would one day in the life of Jesus be like? You know, wake up at the crack of noon, finish watching that movie on Netflix, hang out at the market, <laughs> go to the motorcycle shop and drool over the latest Kawasaki. What, what would a life... What would the life of Jesus be like? Mark 1.35 says, in rising early in the morning. I didn't know what early in the morning meant till I got married to Jeppy. She redefines that for me. And rising morning, while it was still dark. This is definitely talking about Jeppy. While it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and there prayed. He's the son of God. I mean, if anyone should get a pass and not have to pray, it should be him. And if anyone shouldn't be bothered with praying, it should be him. See, why did he wake up so early to pray? I mean, can't you have breakfast and, you know, watch the news, you know, and, 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 and check your email, you know, check your social media and then pray? Why do it so early? Because it comes first. Because it comes first. C.S. Lewis said this. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. 
And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life flowing in. He means like hearing from God. See, when you wake up, all the responsibilities and hopes of the day come rushing at you like wild horses. And your first job is to push all of that stuff back, hold it back, hold back, because I need to spend time hearing the voice of my father. I need to just, I just need to sense his presence. I need to get something from God today. See, the problem is instead of seeking God's kingdom, many are too busy building their own kingdom. India has a lot of kingdom builders. But if you build his kingdom, he will supply your need. Now, I just have a couple of things to say, and then it's time to go. But I am not suggesting that we do not work. I don't mean to imply that every one of us should spend all day, every day, cloistered in our bedrooms in prayer and Bible study. No, we do have to work. Okay, if you thought it was quiet before, Brother John, it's going to get really quiet now. Okay, notice this scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, the end of verse 11, and also verse 12. It says that you should work with your own hands. We instructed you to work with your own hands. Verse 12 says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be no one. Why should I work? So that you can be dependent on no one. That means no man. Because whoever you are dependent on, you are beholden to. Whoever you are dependent on, you are beholden to. When you are self-sufficient in God's grace, you don't need anybody's permission to obey the Lord. See, there's, there's, think, think about this. Think about how many people in India would be Christians if they didn't have a mother-in-law, if they didn't have the family pressure, come on, you're not going to go to that church. You're not going to you water baptize. You, are you joking? No, no, no. Because we'll. Well, God is my source, and let God make you a korpati and say, "Hey, mom, want to come to my church this morning? I'll send my Rolls Royce to pick you up." Suddenly they're like, praise the Lord, son, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, who you are dependent on, you are beholden to. See, when you make God your source, hallelujah, then that means you don't have to compromise to please the other people who are giving the money to you. Amen? Hallelujah. It's God's will that we work. Before Adam sinned, while he still walked in perfect fellowship with the Lord, God gave him a job. God gave him a job before God gave him a wife. Somebody should write that down. I said God gave him a job before he gave him a wife. He, he, he put him in a garden and said, you're going to keep it. You're going to tend it. Why, can't the angels do that? Nobody, you're going to do that. Amen. It's the way we're created. And when you get to heaven, you'll have a job. I know some of you think you're just going to sit on a cloud and pluck a golden harp. Bing, 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 now, how long are you going to do that? You have, you're going to have a job in heaven. You're going to have something to do in heaven as well. Hallelujah. Amen. When we are not productive, we become self-destructive. And some people get into trouble. I think all of us do because we have too much free time on our hands. I think it's good to be busy. It keeps you out of trouble. Amen. And moving right along, the next song on the hit parade. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 3, 11, it says that some people are not busy at work, but busy bodies. How many busy bodies are here tonight? Raise your hand. No, don't do it. Instead of minding their own business, some people are meddling in other people's affairs. Some people are curious. The nose in the wind. What's he doing? What's she doing? Hmm, what are they doing? What's going on? Why don't you just mind your own business? Why do you have to be so, so inquisitive? 
Inquiring minds want to know. Why do you, you, what are you, a detective, Holy Ghost detective? It's your job to investigate everybody? Why don't, you just, why don't you just mind your own affairs? And then worse than that, why are you meddling in other people's business? Yeah, you know? Let me just give you some advice here. Well, wait a minute. Let's first pull that log out of your eye. <laughs> I mean, your life is falling apart. You don't even have two rupees that you can rub together, and you're giving finance. Ha, ha. <laughs> Come on. Just mind your own business. How much nicer the world would be if everybody would mind your own business? I, didn't mean, I don't mean you can't care about others. You can't, you know, pray for others when people come to help them. But otherwise, mind your own business. Look at your neighbor and say, he might be speaking to you. Mind your own business. And then some people, when they pray, Lord, what about him? What about him, Lord? What about him? And I think up in heaven they're saying, what's that to you? Why are, why are you concerned about that? Business. Some things it's between that person and God. And it doesn't concern you. Oh, shall we give an altar call for busybodies? Let's move a few rows of these chairs to give us more space. Amen. You know, long before there was an internet, there was Dimapur. <laughs> Someone shares one little tidbit, like lightning across town. Everybody knows it. <laughs> and the worst thing you can do is, is say, now don't tell anyone I said this. <laughs> you might as well call up the Nagaland Post. <laughs> Let's move on. I'm almost done. Aren't you glad? No? How many of you want me to keep just going on and on and on? That's what I thought. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, the Living Bible, says this. Stay away from any Christian who spends his days in laziness and does not follow the ideal of hard work we set up for you. Now, everybody together say, ouch. Stay away. Notice he said, not from every, any heathen who spends his days in laziness. So Paul not only preached hard, he worked hard. He didn't have to, but he wanted to set an example for others to follow. Why should we avoid lazy Christians? And by the way, keep in mind, this admonition comes from the same person who wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, and love is not lazy. Amen. Hallelujah. Why? Why should we avoid lazy Christians? Well, I think one reason is because laziness is contagious. It's, man, 2020, everybody's wearing two, three masks, six feet between you and the other person. If somebody walks in the bank and sneezes, the police will come and arrest that person. Everybody's just scared, spitless, you know, because, ooh. Don't, no, no. If somebody's like, I'm not feeling well. <laughs> well, brother, we'll pray for you over here. Stay there, stay there. Scared. It's contagious. I just don't want to get it. Right? Laziness is contagious. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you hire someone to work at your school who had Ebola? Just wipe out the entire class? <laughs> they all died. Wham! Wipe them out. <laughs> yeah, this year we graduated three people. <laughs> no. You, you would not hire someone because it's contagious. So why would you hire a lazy person? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think... Ah, wish I had more time. There, I think there's at least two kinds of laziness. All of us, to some degree, avoid things that we find unpleasant. But then there's some people who are inert. They just don't move. They're, they're just there. Plop. They don't seem to have any bodily functions. I mean, they just, they just, there's, there's nothing's working. Just... 
you know. I guess if there's ever going to be carom board in the Olympics, they'll get a gold medal. But other than that, I don't see them doing anything. They're just inert. They don't move. I think, I think that kind of a laziness is often born out of hopelessness. They give up. So you need to be encouraged that God will bless you. God will help you. And you need to bounce back from disappointment. You know, that, that w- there's going to be disappointments. It's going to rain on your parade at least once. But keep on going. Don't give up. God's still with you. He still loves you. Amen. How's the Lord? And let me say this too in closing. Lord, forgive me for lying. But it's not enough just to pray and read your Bible. You need to live by kingdom principles. You need to live by kingdom principles. God not only needs Christians in the church, he needs them in the marketplace. We need to honor him in our work as well as in our worship. Amen. So one way we can live by kingdom principles, if we're really kingdom seekers, we will operate our business on kingdom principles. And one thing is we'll be honest. We'll be honest with people. We won't lie to people. And we'll keep our word. If you make a promise, oh boy, how many times has this happened? You know, like you call the plumber, the electrician, you know, the carpenter, the people laying the carpet, the guy coming to install the sound system. I'll be there tomorrow at 9 a.m. So you're there at, at 8.50 waiting for him. And you're still there at 3 p.m. when the call comes in. Oh, yeah, something came up. Be a man of your word. Be a man or woman of your word. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. My, my grandfather family business, and uh, he didn't have a lot of education, and he didn't know a lot of God's word. He really did not know much, but he was a Christian. And one thing I noticed is, he tithed the profits of his business. Now, he himself, he tithed his personal income to his local church, which was basically a dead church, but that's between him and God. But he, but he, he tithed the profits of his business, too. And that he sent to different ministries. Like, he sent some to Billy Graham, and he sent some to different ministries and things like that. And, and that was a sizable amount of money. That was 10% of his of the, his business's profits. That, that was a lot of money. God always blessed him. He operated on, and he was honest. You can almost say honest to a fault. He, he would tell the truth even when it hurt him. Just a simple, actually kind of a simple person in many ways. But those are kingdom principles. And yet we have some people that have a little dove on their business card. And a little cross on their, on, on, their, on their business card. And I wouldn't trust them any further than I could throw them. They lie worse than a dog. I mean, they just, they, they never keep their word. You can't believe anything they say, you know. Don't be like that. 